Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. When we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear different perspectives, and we better understand others' stories. We learn to stand with people instead of having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. This week, we're hearing from my friend, Lawrence Mays. I know Flo in real life. You're going to love him. Everyone does. He's got this kindness and this excitement that just flows out of him. He's also got some hard parts of his story that he's going to share with us today, including drug abuse, overdose, and a car accident. Then, of course, we're also going to talk about redemption. If you're not in a place where those things would be good for you to hear right now, maybe jump back to episode 89, where Carrie Miller educates us on Catholicism. Or maybe go back to the last time we had one of my real-life guy friends on the show, episode 81 with Keith Menhenek. All right, let's bring in Florence. Well, welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. I'm here today with my friend Florence Mays. Flo's here today to share a little bit of a, a little bit of his story with us. Um, he's got a really powerful story of um, experiencing addiction, having near-death experiences, and now becoming sober. So, Flo, the pieces of your story that I have heard in the snapshots, because of course we work together, so I've heard like little bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. But I'm excited to get to hear it a little bit more comprehensive and not just like the here's the snapshot from this particular moment. So yeah. let's just go ahead and start out. Like, how did you end up getting involved in drugs? Okay, so initially, uh, growing up uh, from K to, to eighth grade, I went to a Christian private school called Hope Academy. And uh, in eighth grade, I was introduced to like, there was a senior, I believe, or she, yeah, she was a senior. And, uh, you know, I was pretty innocent at that time. Like I knew what drugs were, but I hadn't been around drugs, right? Sure. And I remember one time she like stuck her hand in her bag and then she like was like, smell that. And it was like this little pipe and it was weed. And I was like, oh, that's what weed smells like. I was just so innocent, right? Yeah. Anyway, she started uh, giving me Adderall. And uh, she was like, you should sell these. Like, you should sell these. And uh, bring me back the money. I'll give you a cut. And so that's what I was doing. And it didn't last very long. Uh, the person who I was selling them with ended up getting caught. And like, I'll say snitched, like told on me and said that I was the one who gave him them. And he wasn't lying. Uh, so, But they didn't find anything on me. Uh, but we both got expelled. And then from there, it was like four years of just a slippery slope, right? Sure. Um, I had to finish eighth grade at a school called Olson Middle School. And that's where, you know, I was introduced to like really public school and just uh, a secular mentality. And so uh, I started, you know, trying to fit in. And uh, we had just moved to a house over in North Minneapolis. So that's why I went there. And then from there, it was Armstrong High School. And I started dating this girl named Ruby. And uh, she knew the drug dealer. She was a stoner and I just wasn't there yet. Um, but I ended up taking acid in school and I had an amazing time. And then from there, it was smoking weed after school. And then from there, it was, you know, stealing um, Oxy and Vicodin from my grandpa. And and then uh, it was just it just got worse and worse. And then I didn't care what I was taking. You know, it used to be like, OK, you need to show me the, the prescription bottle. Like, I'm not taking it fake. I can just get it from my grandpa. Right. But then it was like, well, I can't get that anymore. Are you sure this is real? And then mm -hmm. I thought it was real. And then it was, I know this isn't real. Please, Lord, like, just let me live one day. This is my last wow. time. And just yeah. saying a prayer before I did it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care. Sure. And of and, course, uh, it wasn't actually almost. your last time. <laughs> yes. But it almost was, you sure. know? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, how it was almost okay. your last time. Uh. So growing up, 
um, I'll say this just as a preface is I always had uh, like dreams and visions of death. And honestly, it's still something uh, I struggle with uh, once in a while. It's like uh, an intuition, like, like I know something's coming. Right. Um, but growing up, I used to just tell my mom, I never saw a future for myself. I didn't see myself getting married. I, I couldn't envision myself growing up. And, uh, I used to tell my friends, like, I'm going to die young. Like I just spoke a lot of death. And I know the word of God says that the power of life and death lies in the tongue. Right. And I find that to be true. Um, and it's not so much manifestation, but I do believe that like by your words and your belief system is the way you act and by your actions come repercussions. Right. And so, uh, in that sense, I guess I believe in manifestation, but not in the new age way. Sure. So, uh, from there, um, I remember we were in Florida, me and my mom, and I don't remember this, but, oh, wait, I'm skipping way ahead. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was one night, this is my car crash, uh, yeah. where I did this, I was going to go to bed. It was like 2 AM. I remember I was lying there. I was living in this house in, okay. in this room. And, uh, I just got this thought, like, you haven't done Xanax in a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, tried to go to bed. And I just couldn't shake the thought. And so I just went on my Snapchat and I started texting everybody who I thought would have Xanax. And everyone was like, nah, bro, sorry. Like, it's late, maybe tomorrow. And I was like, all right. And then finally, I remember I was kind of asleep and I heard my phone ding. And uh, it was one of my cousins. Um, I call him my cousin, although we're not blood related. And uh, he was like, yo, I know somebody who has Xanax, uh, but I'm in St. Cloud. And I was like, don't care. I'm going to grab gas and I will be there. Uh-huh. But can I stay the night at your house? And he said, yeah. And Because the thing about Xanax, I knew better than to drive on Xanax. I knew better. I just knew better. Mm-hmm. And so I got gas. I headed there, got there. We went and picked him up. We went into his garage. We took him. And then at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., his dad comes out and he's like, uh, you know, he can't stay the night, right? And uh, I was like, oh. So now I'm thinking – well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to sleep in my car? Mm. Anyways, he's like, no, bro, you'll be fine. Just go inside. We'll make you something to eat real quick. Wash your face, you know, sober up. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, like, can you drop me off at my friend's house in New Hope since you're heading to Golden Valley? And I was like, well, at least you'll be keeping me up on the ride, right? Yeah. And so we get there. And the thing with Xanax, it's you don't really recognize your high. It's mm. you can think you're completely sober but you can be belligerent at the same time. You pretty much are blackout, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's also a time lapse. There's no perception of time. And so from St. Cloud to New Hope, it's about, uh, I don't know, an hour drive, hour and 20 minute drive. And uh, I remember just like that, we had gotten there. And uh, he hops out of the car and he's like, are you, are you good to drive? Are you sure? And I was like, dude, I made it this far. I got a seven minute drive home. And uh, he's like, are you sure you don't want to walk around the block, get some fresh air? And I was like, nah, dude, I'm okay. So I drive. And uh, the next thing I remember, I woke up upside down. I smelled gas. uh, I smelled dirt. I felt this heavy, like, pressure on my chest. It was probably from the airbag, but I crawled out. And uh, not a single scratch on me. And uh, there were these uh, two two big guys in the yard that uh, were like, yo, like, cussing at me. Like, what what happened? And I was like, dude, I fell asleep. Like, I'm sorry. I did I didn't, I don't know what happened. And they're like, what do you mean? You don't know what happened. It's like, I fell asleep. I don't know. And uh, police ambulance show up and the cop walks up and he's like, you know how lucky you are to be alive right now? And I was like, looking at the car, I was like, yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures, but I can show you some for reference. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like, well, I know you're not drunk because I would have smelt it on you already. I just remember that. 
And I was like, no, I'm not drunk. And uh, he was like, takes me to the paramedics. They, uh, they're checking my vitals and all of that. And uh, they were like, all right, well, he's checking out. Is there, do you have someone you can call to come pick you up? And I was like, well, I'm not calling my mom, so I'll call my dad. And that's who I'm living at right now. Sure. And no answer. And I'm not going to call again. So I'm like, well, I literally live like right down the block. Is there any way you guys can bring me? And so they call like dispatch to get permission and they get permission. They drop me off and I made it home. And I remember I went to bed and then I woke up at like 4 p.m. the next day to banging on my door. And it was my dad on holding the phone with my mom on it. And she was screaming like, did you know he got in a car crash? Like, da -da, like freaking out. Mm. And uh, that was my first miracle. I wouldn't say first miracle, but just like near death experience. Yeah. And before that, it was like. I was reading C.S. Lewis's uh, Miracles. So little, going back a little more, like I was drawing near to God at this time. This is when I started recognizing like, wow, there's really a floating ball of gas in the sky and like people don't question this. Like, wow, there's really a moon. Like, like just realizing like this didn't come from nothing. Like so there was right. a spiritual awakening happening, but I still had one foot in and one foot out, right? Sure. And uh, I think God saw that and that was my first wake up. Okay, mm -hmm. I see you. I'm going to keep you here. You think you're going to die young. Well, I'm going to show you that you don't take your last breath until I say you do, right? Wow, yeah. And uh, then about five months later, uh, I was in Florida with my mom. And uh, this is what she told me after I woke up out of a coma is that uh, I had told her that I thought that death was near. And uh, I don't remember saying that, but she told me that. Mm -hmm. And so we get back from Florida. And uh, I asked if I can go to one of my coworkers' house. I'll be back later that night. Mm -hmm. And so I go there. And my only sole purpose for going there was to get Percocet with him. Um, like, I knew it was fake, fentanyl, like, just bad. Um, but we did it. So we go and get it, take it with him, and we're at his house. And uh, apparently I said that I was going to go to bed. I was tired, which doesn't make sense because I said that I was going to be home. I don't know why I did that. I just mm -hmm. did. Yeah. And uh, he throws a blanket on me. We have work the next day at 7 a.m. It's probably around 11 or 12. And he wakes up to his alarm at about 6.15 and uh, comes to shake me awake. And I'm not moving. And mm -hmm. he checks my pulse. And there's no pulse. And so he calls 911. And they tell him to start doing chest compressions. And so he does. They come back. Um, I, I don't know anything besides this. But like... Uh, I had no no pulse, and they uh, they put me in a medically induced coma for five days, I believe, wow. and they froze my body to. Uh, it's like eight degrees below our normal temperature, something okay. Celsius, uh, yeah. but it they're, what's the word? Uh, they're technically freezing your body, um, to preserve your uh, organs and brain function, mm -hmm. and so that's what they did. So I was frozen and. Um, had trach tube, you know, catheter, IVs, all of that. And uh, then I woke up and don't remember the next two days after that. Um, but then the drug started to wear off that they had given me. And uh, now we're here. I went to treatment after that. And yeah. So I want to clarify because I want to make sure I understand. Were you yep. in a coma in Florida or this was only one coma oh, after Florida? This is uh, two days after we got, well, literally a day and a half two days after we got back okay. from florida okay. so here in minnesota sure and so it was it was an overdose right it was yeah okay well what they say yeah it was an overdose but they have no idea what i overdosed on 
um, they, when they took my blood, they checked for everything and didn't find a single drug in my system. Wow. So I wasn't smoking weed at that time. There was no alcohol, nothing. Mm -hmm. The one thing that they did not test for was fentanyl because that takes a separate test. So my guess it was probably fentanyl or just some alternative uh, fake drug I, substance. Sure. I have no idea. Sure. Um, and another thing is that when they got to my roommates or not roommates, my coworker's house, mm -hmm. they asked him what I had taken. And he said he did not know. And uh, but he knew he was just too afraid to tell them. Sure. And so that's one thing that God was sovereign over is like they they could have given me Narcan if they knew I was on opiates or I'd taken opiates, but they had no idea. And they just they worked their wonders. So. Right. Wow. Did you have a drug of choice or did you kind of use a spattering of them? Yeah, it was I was what you call a poly drug, you know, okay. user. I It didn't matter. It was Molly one week. It was Percocet. But in all in all, I genuinely did like opiates. I would say uh, it gave me a calming sensation and brought peace of mind, but uh, it, I wasn't a daily user either, mm -hmm. which is, I was a functioning addict, what they say, okay. you know, so. So, so you were still able to hold a job, go to school, yep. do all the normal things with an addiction yep. as well. Yep. And so then you came out of the coma. Is that when you went to rehab? Uh, yep. So it was about two weeks after that. Um, I remember, um, this is kind of random too, but well, while I was in the hospital room, uh, I had like a, a super awful dream, sleep paralysis. It was just super sad. And, uh, I actually had a dream about juice world and I don't know if you know who that is, but he, he's an, a, a recording artist who actually passed away from, uh, a lean and, and Percocet overdose. Wow. But, uh, yeah, he glorified the drugs, right? He glorified mm -hmm. the demons he was facing, all of that. Um, beautiful artist, though, but just, you know, glorified it. And uh, I saw him, and I, and I can't really get into the dream, but it was just terrifying, right? Yeah. So I wake up. It's like 3, 4 a.m., and I'm, I'm crying by myself. Mm -hmm. And my mom gets there the next morning. We eat some, you know, hospital breakfast. It was good. And she asked, uh, before she left, she, she prayed over me and asked that I would have uh, the most beautiful dream I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I was like super afraid to go to sleep that night just because dreams really affect me. Like I, I really, they really do. But I went to sleep mm -hmm. and I had this third person dream where I was uh, in the parking lot in a car with three of my best friends, but I had no idea who these friends were. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was watching, but I was also myself. And we hopped out of the car and one of my songs that I had never made or never heard was playing on the radio. And the sun was shining on our skin and I could feel the heat and all of a sudden I was just sucked out of it. But I've always looked at that as a moment in, in the future that will happen. I have no idea what it is, but I've, I believe Cullen, who I do the podcast with, yeah. is one of those people. Mm -hmm. I had never met him before. Wow. But when I met him, I got that sensation of like, you're someone I'm supposed to do things with. That's cool. And I'm waiting on the other two people. I don't know who they are yet. I may, yeah. They may be in my life now, but I have no idea. You don't know who they so. are yet. Yeah, that's cool. And so then what made you decide to become sober? Is sober the proper uh, term? Or is it like clean? What's the word? Yeah, sober, clean. Uh, yeah, whatever you want to say. Um, okay. I would say, again, my mom was showing me pictures when I was in the hospital bed of me with tubes and stuff like that. And I remember we just bawled in the bed together, like cried. Yeah. And uh, that's when I realized how serious it was. 
because I had no recollection of anything, right? I just woke up one day and I'm in the hospital. But until she showed me the aftermath, I didn't really care or understand. Um, when she showed me that, she said, you need to go to treatment. I didn't want to go to treatment. She said, if you want a relationship to be the same, you need to go to treatment. And so I said, okay. And uh, got home, healed super quickly. And uh, she, they were going to send me to Teen Challenge. Um, but then they came across uh, a Facebook post from an old friend from Teen Challenge that they had met because they both worked there okay. and got sober through Teen Challenge. Wow. This is my mom and stepdad. Okay. And uh, he had opened his own place with another guy named John uh, called Redemption House. That's why I love the word that you use, redemption, yeah. right? Because I find that to be very true. And uh, they showed me pictures of it. It's like this awesome, like, middle of nowhere, kind of like cabin type house. Um, but it's just super beautiful. And you're like pretty much on a sabbatical, but it's completely faith-based. Yeah. So I go there and, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I'm only going to do the 90 days. Um, go there for 90 days. They're like, hey, if you stay another month, you can do what we call a phase two program. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do the phase two, but I'm only going to stay there for the six month requirement. Well, I stayed there for 16 months. And I just wow. moved out uh, like a week and a half, two weeks ago. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I would say really because I saw the aftermath and uh, when I got home from the hospital, just seeing my brother's joy and uh, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, seven-year-old brother and just everyone who loved me, like, it was like, do I really want to be in that position again? Like, yeah. obviously I'm here for a reason. Uh, you know, I spoke so much death, but God's shown me two times that like, I'm not meant to be dead. Like, I mean, lightning usually does not strike twice. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. Do you have like visions of yourself as an adult now? Yeah, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely like, I, I mean, it's it, again, I still struggle with that. I, I can definitely struggle with assurance of salvation as well. Of like, man, like how could God love me? You know, why does he love me? And I think a lot of people struggle with this, whether they're vocal about it or not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I have daily struggles. Um, and there's sometimes like, you know, temptations to use, mm -hmm. although it's not necessarily like Percocet. It's like, well, you know, I didn't really have a problem with alcohol, but like, what if I just drank, you know, right. and then but I know where those things can lead. But yeah. um, I would say when I am, I would say moving correctly uh, in my word, uh, you know, alongside with community, you know, have a good prayer life. I yeah. definitely see a future. Um, but there are times where, you know, I may be backsliding or uh, I feel like I'm too sinful. And those uh, feelings and emotions can definitely lead to like, well, I don't think I'm going to be here long. And um, there's a verse. I have it right here. Just a moment. Okay. It's uh, it's Romans 8, 6. It's uh, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. And I definitely find that to be very true for my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So tell us a little bit more about Redemption House, because we both live in Minnesota and I don't have a lot of experience um, in the, the addiction world, but I know that like Minnesota Teen Challenge is kind of the um, gold standard for, yeah. for, for rehabs, at least here in the state of Minnesota, um, yeah. adult and teen challenge, but then redemption house, I've heard beautiful things about it from a couple of people who have gone there. So tell us a little bit more about what that experience was like. 
I would say it was it was very enlightening. It was very beautiful. Um, as I said, that's that's how I met Cullen, who I do the podcast mm -hmm. with. I've met yeah. tons of great community through there. I mean, the guys who I was living in phase two with are some of my best friends. I love them. Like, that's cool. just to see how God brought me from, again, a, sta uh, a state of almost just about death to like mm -hmm. just filled with people who love the Lord and who want the best for me and like who are pouring into me. And like, it's just crazy what he can do. Um, and to think like, ah, I don't, it's just crazy to think, see what he can do. Like just where I could be, where I should be and um but where i'm not at the same time so uh yeah. it was in located in minnetrista minnesota about 30 minutes away from the cities or golden valley where i am yeah. and then um but you know we had a regiment we woke up at seven you know i struggled with waking up early but <laughs> tried to wake up at seven and yeah. uh we had a half hour to hour of devotions and then from there we would have groups um there you know we could have anywhere like when i went there there were a ton of people it was like 12. i'll say a ton of people as 12. Yeah. uh right now i think there's about six people but at, you know every once in a while they'll be like hey a new guy's coming in a new guy and they're from all over you got people from texas you got people from uh whatever georgia you got people from new york you got people from wisconsin north dakota and they're just coming in and then those become your brothers for mm -hmm. for those times and yeah. uh yeah it was good that's awesome so you did mm -hmm. devotions in the morning and then you had groups like throughout the day. Yep. So then, we, we may be Justin Lockemacher. That's, that's who, uh, my parents knew. Um, mm -hmm. he's also a, uh, uh, what do you call that? Um, not the head pastor, but he is a pastor at Cornerstone church. Okay. Uh, and so he would, um, lead like pastoral groups of like, you know, he would preach and they're not preach, but, uh, he would teach, I would okay. say um in those classes and we we would do anything from you know this is uh like okay so what what redemption house focuses on is is not so much um oh you're you're an addict you're always be an addict but hey you have an idolatry issue this is why you look to these things you have a heart issue so that's that's where the faith comes in is like okay if your heart is right you won't desire these things and this is where christ comes into play right um, and so groups based on that, how are we changing your heart? How is God going to change your heart? Um, and what needs to be changed? Where do these heart issues come from? Well, first we're just sinful beings. Um, but second, like there is trauma that comes into play too. What was your childhood going like? So we had, you know, there was therapy as well and, um, talking through those things. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you started with a 90 day program and that's what, yep. that's, I'm assuming what you just described to me. What was yep. the phase two like? Phase two is you're out on your own, but you still go to what we call two to two meetings every Monday night. And then we have what's called grace abounds on Tuesday nights. Um, but other than that, you're in a house. We were living in a regular house in St. Louis Park. We were renting it out. There's no like, I would say, I mean, there's a, a one of the people who live there are going to be considered house manager, making sure like, okay, we're going to set these chores up for this person. But besides that, like the only thing, the rules there were like, obviously don't use um and then like curfew be home on weekdays at 10 p.m be home on weekends at 12. uh but besides that you're working a job you're yeah. you're living life mm -hmm. so yeah and so then you when did you finish phase two uh i just moved out about a week and a half ago okay okay so mm -hmm. you've been doing phase two in the last several months okay mm -hmm. 
um that's super helpful do you find like how do you feel now being on your own and having finished phase two um in all honesty it doesn't feel too much different because uh i mean i was living regular life before the only difference here is like well i don't have a curfew but i'm not gonna lie half the time i'm still home by that curfew because it's like it's just a part of like what i do now um and i'm still going to the monday and tuesday nights because i love seeing those guys you know so I would say like the life is still the same. It's just, I have to walk it out. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily on my own, but I just have to walk it out now. Right. You know? Right. Is everyone at um, Redemption House male or are there females, transgenders there as well? Just males. Yep. Just males. Okay. Yeah. So I was listening to uh, your podcast where you were talking about, talk, you, and Sh- you and Colin were sharing your stories. Yep. Um, and I was really intrigued when the topic of conversation moved over to the topic of like, do you have regrets being sober? And I would love yeah. to hear some more of your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I would say, I don't even remember what I, what I said in that podcast, which might be helpful because then I'm not. Okay. You can tell me fresh stuff now. Yeah. Um, I would say there's definitely times where I may feel like uh, I'm, I would say the regrets come from like self-inflicted pain of, mm. you know, I mean, well, oh, wait, was it regrets of, of being sober that you asked? That's what I asked. But if you had something else okay. that you wanted to tell me, I'm willing to hear it. Well, I, I was just going to say, I would say regrets of like the life that I did live. But at the same time, like I wouldn't be who I am now without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as like regrets of being sober, I don't walk around with my head down because I'm sober. I would, I would say it's just like the fact that I ever tasted that fruit is where the regret comes from. Mm. Um, because you've tasted that life and you know it, but now you have to live a different life. And I don't know. I just feel like that makes it a little harder than someone who's never done it. Right. You know, if you've never gone to a party, you won't miss a party because you don't know what that feels like. You don't know what you're missing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. How has your perspective shifted after having these experiences, both of using and of, um, treatment and of course of the near-death experience yeah that's a good question i would say that life is is fragile most Mm. definitely um god is sovereign uh because since i've experienced a ton of people who have not made it out you know Mm. we had a guy at redemption house who i only knew for about two weeks but we you know we had really good talks deep talks and one night he just wasn't there. He left, like went, ran away, left all his stuff there. And then two weeks later, we found, found out that him and a friend were found OD'd in the parking lot mm. and his friend survived, but he died, you know? Wow. And, uh, we went to the funeral and I was just like, dang, you know, that, mm-hmm. that shoulda, coulda been me. Um, so yeah, life is very fragile. These drugs aren't anything you want to play with. And it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, you want to be a 4.0, you know, star basketball player you take one of those you can die too um it's not just you know someone itching under a bridge right and i mean i think there's this stigma around addicts that like they're messy and like yeah that may be the case for some people but there's also like ceos who are uh you know very functioning uh high functioning but yet live in a life of darkness right so i think that's kind of what i feel my calling is is to like remove that stigma and uh you know, also just be a light, yeah. you know, yeah. um, other perspectives, I would say, uh, I don't know, uh, struggle is 
I mean, this is really cliche, but struggle is, is useful for building up if you allow it to, mm. you know, you can either allow the struggle to, you know, cause you to walk and wallow in like sadness and pain, or you can yeah. allow it to, you know, uh, make you stronger. And uh, because you've struggled in a certain area, you can relate to people who are still struggling in that certain area. So it also gives you, I wouldn't mean, I don't know if I want to say license, but it gives you the ability to be empathetic um, in a way that maybe some people can't. Yeah. Yeah. I think about how like you've shifted my perspective um, because I remember there was a point, I don't know, sometime last fall, September, October, early November, I was leaving work and you're like, Hey, get home safe. And like, my experience we only say that at work when the roads are bad and so honestly you triggered me and I was like oh my gosh is it snowing and I didn't even realize it um but then of course knowing you and knowing your story like that whole ride home I was like oh my gosh like I wonder I'm sure at some point like somebody told Flo to get home safe and and something happened and it didn't work and so just like that thought of like get home safe is more than just a hey drive safely because it's icy or snowy or blizzardy or whatever but just the reality of like you know what it's like to not get home safe. Yeah. And in general, uh, some people just die, like Mm -hmm. really. And it doesn't have to be your fault. Like it's like, you know, it's uh, like I, and one thing I've learned is like, I always say Lord willing too. It's like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Cause it's tomorrow is not promised. Like, and that's one thing I think that's the perspective that's changed with me too, is like tomorrow is not promised. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I may be sober now, but like, you know, maybe I, I don't know, maybe an icicle falls on me. Like, sure. what a way. That would be so Very corny. Real. But yeah. It could happen. Like, I think it kills a couple of, like, hundred people a year. Like, it just I'm happens. Sure it and, like, yeah. yeah, and no one really walks with that perspective unless they know just the, fra- you know, uh, fragileness mm-hmm. of life. So, yeah. and not to stare and preach and be like, I know everything. Because there's days I, I forget that. I can get cocky. You know, I get confident yeah. and think I'm on top of the world. But it is a reality. And... Yeah, I don't think people a whole lot of people recognize it. So, yeah, for sure not. Yeah. So if somebody has been listening and they're like, "Okay, I have a loved one who has an addiction. How yeah. can they be supportive to that loved one?" Hmm. I didn't prep you for that question. Sorry. No, no, that's a beautiful question. Um, well, I would say first, uh, are they believer or are they not believer? Uh, because if they're a believer, I would say, speak to the church, seek wise counsel. What is the length of their addiction? What kind of addiction is it? Um, you know, is it, is it uh, pornography addiction? Is it drug addiction? Like, I mean, addictions kind of are one in the same in a sense for mm-hmm. there's a root issue and there's a cause, yeah. but, uh, you know, one can literally kill you and one kills you slowly you know, um, or maybe kills, uh, excuse your view of things. Uh, another thing I would say is try to be empathetic and understand why, uh, again, that goes back to the root cause, but all in all, I would say be supportive and do not cause them to feel like they are less than also recognize if you have own your own addictions in your life too, because a lot of people walk around all tall and mighty, but they're addicted to caffeine or they sit on their TV or phone for eight hours a day, you know? Again, there's that stigma of like addicts are just the ones under the bridges, right. but like, not at all. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. not that. Not that. What, like, has been supportive to you? Community. 
mm. for sure. Uh, and that's why I still continue to go to the groups is like, yeah, because I know there's something to gain and I've, I've been in states of isolation and, uh, it, it can be lonely, very lonely. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, that's one thing this generation struggles with and probably every generation before us, cause nothing's new under the sun, but mm -hmm. I feel, I feel like a lot of people feel like they're alone and no one yeah. can relate that no one, yeah, no one struggles the same as them or no one's been through this. And yeah. I know that mindset. And again, there's times where I'm tempted to get into that mindset, but, um, it's not true because as you meet more people, if you, especially if you're actively searching out, you could look up, uh, AA meetings near me and you'd find about 10,000 results and you go there and you short, you, you either listen to someone share their story or you share your own. And I guarantee you'll learn something and you'll learn that like, there are a lot of people like you. Yeah. It's just, they're not maybe in our face, you know, uh, they're not the ones making the music. They're not the ones on national TV, you know? Um, and that's, again, I think that's my job is to be a sort like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to say like a sacrifice, but like almost like I put it in my song, catch a breath. Like I'm just trying to tell you about my life so that you don't have to sacrifice your own. I mean, I remember many times, many times that I felt alone and it's like, because I went through these things again, I'll be able to speak to a broad amount of people about these things and sure someone who's never been through it can go up there and, you know, sign, read off or like list off scientific facts about addiction, but right. they've never felt the itch or they've never, you know, really been through it. And I think uh, people are more willing to listen. So maybe that's God's whole plan with mm -hmm. me. And yeah. I would say with everyone, and that's why we have the word of God, right. Is like mm -hmm. to show, okay, God sent, jesus to be flesh just as we were yeah. and it says that he was faced with every temptation known to man right mm -hmm. so we do not serve a high master who is not able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses yeah but yet he was without sin mm -hmm. so yeah i think if you've you've been through something traumatic or you've got a struggle or whatever it be depression anxiety be vocal uh mm -hmm. because you could really affect people yeah that's a good word yeah that's a really good word Yes. So you've talked a little bit about your music and we've alluded to your podcast and stuff like that. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about what kind of creative work you're doing and where we can find it. Okay. So, um, yeah, again, my name is Florence Mays and, uh, you can find that on all platforms, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Um, I will say, uh, that my SoundCloud has a lot more, uh, songs on it, uh, because I just don't, there are a lot of leases to beats that I don't purchase. And so I don't have sure. the rights to put them on Spotify. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of my favorites are on there. Um, but as far as like my bigger songs, they go on Spotify and whatnot. Uh, my creative process, I record in my room. Uh, I've invested a lot of money into a, a good studio. And my music when I was, you know, 16, 17 was a lot different than it is now. It was a lot of glorifying the life I was living and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I, I, even before my ODs and all that, I, as I said, it was a spiritual awakening. So I stopped, uh, you know, speaking about those things in a positive light. Um, I stopped, you know, cussing in my music. Um, and started speaking about things that, uh, are helpful and fruitful. Um, I'm in the process of making it more fruitful because I want Christ to be glorified in my music, 
just one thing I, I don't want it to always come across is, because uh, I know one thing I struggle with and probably a lot of people struggle with is with Christian music is it maybe it seems too happy or too mm -hmm. joyful mm -hmm. for people who maybe don't feel a lot of joy. And yeah. so I like to speak to both. It's like, I like to speak to, um, you know, the sad part of things as well, but like also offer like, hey, this is what it could be. You know, yeah. here's what it was for me at one point, but like, here's where I am now. Yeah. Besides that, I, I make all sorts of genres, alternative rap, R&B, spoken word. It, it yeah. doesn't matter as long as the instrumental or uh, beats are, you know, inspire me, mm. then uh, sure. I hop on. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes in the Christian life, we think everything is always sunshine and roses and it's not. And yeah, I mean, there's no. a whole book of that in scripture called Lamentations. That's all. Yes. Or Psalms. Know? The Psalms, Psalms are, yeah. yeah, David was not in a good mindset in the Psalms. No. Jeremiah, no, he was naked and suicidal. Like, yep. there's just so much in scripture that I think we gloss over because we think, oh, God is love. Everything's always yeah. hunky dory. And it's just not. It's not. No. Yeah. And so that's that stigma, again, that I'm trying to remove. It's like, you know, yeah. we Christians go through hard things, too. Yeah, and like, you do. don't have to be perfect. And like, I'm really good at like preaching this, but like not so good at remembering myself of like, you know, man, God loves me not because of me, but because he wants to love me. Yeah. You know, it's nothing that I've done. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of times where Satan creeps in there and he's like, well, you know, you went this far, you know, is, mm -hmm. is he still going to love you now? You know, that that thought yeah. pattern is, is very dangerous and destructive and I hate it. I do. For sure. Yeah. For sure. No, that's so good. What is the name of your podcast? Epiphany. The Epiphany Show. The Epiphany Show. Yes. We will link to that in the show notes as well as your music. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so two final questions for you, unless we get continue to talk and come up with more questions. But um, the first one, would you be willing to pray for us? Of course. Uh, dear God, I thank you for another day that was not promised. And uh I thank you for Katie, Lord, and just her heart and the platform that you've given her. Um, I pray that uh, you would just continue to grow her platform and reach new ears uh, and that she would just uh, trust in you um, with that, Lord. I just thank you for this opportunity to be able to share uh, the goodness of your love um, in my story and not make it about me, but what you've done and how good you are, God. So I pray that uh, listeners would just be encouraged by this and that you would bless them and just... Uh, keep them safe, Lord, and allow them to know that there are people out there who struggle um, and that you are able to empathize with them and that you do draw near to the brokenhearted. I pray for anyone uh, struggling with any kind of addiction, Lord, that you would just break those chains uh, and that you would be with them, Lord, protect them, be with Katie the rest of the day, Lord, um, and keep her safe, Lord, and may she be encouraged um, and may she have uh, been able to learn something from this, Lord. Um, I pray that she would just continue to do this work, God. It's a, it's a good thing. And may she just, uh, may it be built on solid ground and on, on nothing shaky, God. And may it last. Um, just do with it as you please. May we have a blessed rest of the day, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love getting to hear people pray because I feel like it shows a lot about what their relationship with God is. And your show's definite intimacy and enjoyment in being in his presence. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. <laughs> so our final question, 
with the yeah. with the show the way that it is, we are always looking to learn something new. And so I would love to know what is something you've learned recently. Ooh, curveball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something new I learned. The word IntelliKey. E n t e l e c h y means the realization of potential. Um, and I think it's a beautiful word. I would say my favorite word. And uh, not that I, I mean, obviously things have potential. You can have potential, but what do you do with it? But anyways, just the realization that you can do something is a pretty yeah. cool thing. Yeah. That's yeah. a good word. Literally <laughs> and figuratively. I've never heard yes. that word before either. That's fun. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry I couldn't be deeper, but there's that. Oh, that's great. It's not supposed to be a deep question. It's supposed to be a fun one. <laughs> Flo, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you for getting thank to, um, for sharing your story with us, for trusting us with your story, and for of being course. willing to share what God has done in and through you and what he's going to continue to do in and through you. We're excited to see that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. As always, big thanks for listening. Have Hopeful Travel would not exist without the team of people helping me bring each episode to reality. If you're interested in joining the volunteer team, you see a way that your skill set could help improve the show, or if you want to talk more about what openings we've got, send me an email at katie at katieaxelson.com. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram as well. I'm at katieaxelson. It's where we share real life stories and where my grandparents are getting a lot of internet time right now. Be sure to connect with Flo at, at Florence Mays on Instagram or on the Epiphany Podcast. His music is also available on Apple Music, Spotify, and all the places. If you're looking for another encouraging story of God's redemption, check out episode 85 with Lorianne Wood. We'll see you again in two weeks with a fresh perspective and a new individual to learn from. Until then, know that you are valued, know that you are loved, know that your story matters, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.